0: You're listening to Stories Behind the Songs with Chris Blair. For more information, check out chrisblair.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Stories Behind the Songs. I'm your host, Chris Blair, and this week we are in the quote-unquote listening room at Sony Music Publishing. That's right. They have a room here called the Listening Room where they get together every day and they go through all the songs that their writers wrote the day before. It's very cool. Uh, I'm sitting down with my buddy and president CEO, Rusty Gaston. You've probably heard our songwriters mention uh, in previous episodes about their publishers. Well, with several years of experience working in publishing, Rusty gives us the scoop on what a music publisher does and what his role consists of as president of Sony Music Publishing. If you are an aspiring songwriter, established artist, or just someone who loves music, then this episode is for you. You will get to hear exclusive behind-the-scenes stories from the writers' rooms, interactions between country stars and icons, how the hits are formed, and everything in between. Rusty believes in championing and encouraging his artists, and you can hear uh, and feel how much he cares for these artists and songwriters just by sitting in the same room with him. You could even say that without Rusty, we would not have as many hits on the radio as we currently do today. Let us know what you think about this episode. And please remember to subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you find a podcast. Uh, We love it. We love you. Thanks for listening. Let's get to it. Here's my buddy, Rusty Gaston. Hey everybody, here's another episode of Stories Behind the Songs. I am Chris Blair and I am here at Sony Music Publishing downtown Nashville with my buddy Rusty Gaston. How you doing? Yeah, I'm great. Happy Good, to be man. here.
1: Thanks for having
0: me. Thanks for inviting us into your home.
1: Yeah, you got it. Yeah. This is our listening room where we um all of our A&R team meets every single morning at 9.30 in the morning and we listen to every song that came in the night before that's amazing so all the songs that are written by our songwriters that are turned in you know one day our whole team gets together the next morning and listens to every single one of them the next morning in here every day
0: that's amazing yeah that's uh how how many songs is that typically
1: uh it's about 25 a day okay normally yeah yeah
0: Yeah. that's good man yeah
1: some days there's more some days there's less but on average 25 a day but when you're talking about 5 days a week, every day. It's, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, I've been so excited to uh to do this. We started talking about uh having you on a couple months ago and um you know, we we sit down and we share the stories behind the songs, um mostly with songwriters who wrote those songs, right? Um but I've been I've been really excited to have you to kind of pull that curtain back on publishing and basically you know, you're running this massive machine and, uh, you know, to kind of let everybody know like what happens behind the scenes. But, um, before we quite get to that, let's just take a step back and tell me how you got involved in, in music in the first place and how you got to Nashville and all of that. Done. Um, man, I really think it was, first off, it's just God.
1: It was God's plan for my life. And I was very lucky to have some real defining moments in life that I can remember like it was yesterday. And I have the first one where I remember being in an elementary school and I remember being in the locker room, standing up on a bench, looking down on a group of friends of mine, and they were singing a song. And I remember just like I'm there right now thinking, why are y'all just now singing that song? I played that for y'all last school year, like before we left school last year, and and they're just now singing it. And I don't know, have any idea why, but that just stuck with me for years mm. and years. And my dad had told me when I got to be a teenager, everybody in this world has a job doing something. And What I love to do is sit in my room, listen to records for hours on end, scour the liner notes. But what I noticed was the songs that I was always attracted to were the songs that eventually would become popular. And so I pieced together, well, somebody has to have a job figuring out which songs on these records should be the songs played on the radio. And I didn't know those were called singles. I didn't know how that worked. I didn't know anything about the music business. But if my dad said everybody's got a job doing something, well, somebody had to have that job. Yeah. And so I literally just chased that down. And um my senior year of high school, I got a job performing at Six Flags Over Texas, a theme park uh outside of Dallas. And I sang and danced and played guitar. And I had another defining moment there where I was in a show, we played for a thousand people a day, six days a week, and I just remember where I was standing, what I was doing, when it just hit me, it's like, man, I just have no interest in doing this and being a performer. Like, I'm trying to get into the music business. How do I get into the business, Mm. not to being a performer not not doing this but it was my only way to kind of get my foot in the door to meet somebody and uh I met a music publisher while I was working there. And I met a publisher named Jerry Smith who had a joint venture with this company, actually, with Sony Tree at the time. And he had a publishing company that existed to sign singer-songwriters, develop them as artists, and get them record deals. And he had signed Terry Clark and Red Akins and Lone Star uh in the early, mid-'90s. Mm-hmm. And they were all big gold platinum yeah. artist and he started explaining to me what he did for a living and It's as if the skies just parted, and I thought, Oh my gosh, like this is what I was meant to do and uh shortly after, I moved to Nashville and uh started interning for him and finishing my college at belmont while i I took classes early in the morning and as late in the evening as I could so that I could work for free all during the day mm-hmm. and uh the rest is history. It's been a dream come true ever since.
0: Yeah. So you you worked for um, the the publishing company, and then walk me through the story of getting that call to come here to Sony. Yeah. So I was an
1: independent publisher
0: in Nashville for twenty three years yeah. before
1: I uh, came here to Sony, and me and two songwriters, uh, Tim Nichols and Connie Harrington, owned a company called This Music. That uh, was a small boutique publisher in Nashville. We were super blessed. It was very successful, tons of fun, yeah. uh, had an amazing roster of writers. But there was a Friday night in June of 2019. I was in Charlotte at a uh, concert seeing Dustin Lynch and uh, Thomas Rett, And my phone rang, and it was John Platt, who was the chairman of Sony at the time, and he had just started. And he and I knew each other. Um, So it's not odd that he would call, but he never calls. So I answered my phone. It's late on a Friday. He said, hey, man, what are you doing? I said, "Oh, I'm at this concert. He said, great. He said, I need you to come to New York next week. Can you do that? I said, yeah, absolutely. And He's like literally the biggest publisher in the world. Like, I wasn't going to ask any questions. Like, he wants me to come (laughs) to New York. I'm coming. And he said, hey, don't tell anybody you're coming. Just only tell your wife. I said, okay, no problem. So I went to New York the next week and he, uh, approached me about saying, Hey, he said, I've watched you build a culture that songwriters want to be a part of. And I've watched you build a destination that songwriters want to come to. And he said, Hey, that's what we need in Nashville. And there's going to be a change there and led into a conversation of, of would I be interested in coming to sony here what was great about it is he explained you know he had watched the way that our company had been built where it's about relationship it's about service to songwriters and he said on that very first meeting hey i don't want you to do your business any different he said i'm just going to provide you the resources to scale your business up that's required for the level of of Mm -hmm. sony Mm -hmm. and um here we are four years later. It's been a dream come true every day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've known each other for a long time and I mean, you, you did, you had such a, a great thing going. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, just to, to come over and like, I almost can't even picture downstairs the way that it used to be now, but, um, you know, you came in and basically gutted this building and, and redid it. And, um, And I guess part of that was bringing the atmosphere that you had over to where, you know, it's like, I mean, I know writers who aren't even writing that day and they still come over and hang out in the morning, you know, whatever. So
1: Well, and that's what makes Music Row so special. That's what makes things, I call it uniquely Nashville because... All of country music is created on basically three blocks. And what used to be all craftsman houses up and down Music Row, where songwriters would come every day, but all those houses were built around kitchens, and those songwriters would come into the kitchens in the morning, and they would talk about where they played last night, who they saw, who they were with, who they stayed at the bar with all night, and they would congregate, and they would talk. And these are, you know, the songwriters and the publishers... You know, it's a lifestyle choice. It's not a career choice. And, uh, you know, those songwriters would live life together. They would experience life together, but those were the places that they would come and congregate and talk. And that's where relationship would happen. And that's where the songs would be born. Mm-hmm. And that's what, even though this is, uh, you know, Sony music publishing is the biggest publishing company in the world. And, and this may be one of the biggest, uh, publishing companies in Nashville, but it needs to feel like a home. It needs to feel like a small place where creatives are wanted and uh, where they want to be. And so, yeah, it was immediately about gutting the building and turning this into an environment where songwriters wanted to be. So the first thing we did is every floor is built around a kitchen to where there's sonic ice on every floor, where there's coffee and cappuccino, and there's games and people don't really smoke anymore, but, but every songwriter I know plays golf. So we built a putting green (laughs) in between our building and the ASCAP building. Yeah. But the philosophy being, you know, people used to take smoke breaks in the middle of the day or songwriters would take smoke breaks. But if songwriters are writing today, they don't really. For the most part, they don't smoke cigarettes. It's just not the normal common thing, but they still need to take a break. So we built this putting green where they can go out there. They can hit some putts, think about their song, clear their mind. And then they say, Oh, I've got the idea. Okay. Back to my room and they go finish the song. And it was creating, excuse me, stuff like that, that created an environment where songwriters want to be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the coolest stories of exactly why we re remodeled this building was uh, we had a brand new artist in the studio named Ella Langley uh, recording. And one of our big stars named John Party was in the building. He was waiting on his co-writers and he was in the kitchen downstairs getting some coffee. Well, Ella came out of the studio and this is about a year ago. Ella came out of the studio She's thinking about her song. She looks up, and then there's this big huge cowboy, John party, that you know she's listened to for years and is an enormous fan of, but the two of them had never met, but they got to meet in the kitchen and they got to spend five, ten minutes just talking, getting to know one another. well, fifteen minutes later, uh me and somebody else on the a and r team. You know, got a text message from John of, Hey, who, who's this girl I met? You know, tell me about her. And Anna Wiseband sent him a bunch of Ella's music, told him about her. Well, from that five minute interaction, 72 hours later, it turned into John offering Ella Langley the opening slot on his entire world tour. And they're on it right now as we speak. Yeah. But that type of stuff from just camaraderie of being in a creative space together, like that's the potential that can happen. Mm-hmm. But that exact story in that case, it turned into, you know, us contributing to her artist career by her being out on one of the most major tours of the year. Yeah. But that five minute interaction could just as easily turned into a song idea, a co-write uh, uh, introduction of somebody else that turns into a million dollar song.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, it's what you've built here is, is amazing. You know that. Um, so let's, let's kind of dive into, I want to, I want to get into some stories behind songs that you've like, you know, going back to like, Hey, I knew this was a hit and kind of walk me through that. And then maybe some that, you know, didn't become popular that are just great songs. We hear those all the time at the listener of like, why isn't this on the radio? Um, but before we even get to that, for all the listeners out there, because I know, um, you know, especially outside of the music industry, most people don't understand what publishing is and, you know, everything that takes takes place. Um, and then also some people in the industry I've also talked <laughs> to that just like, I don't really know yeah. how the pub deals work and all that. So... Give me like give me your elevator speech of like, you know, what you do on a day-to-day basis, how you find the songs, how you sign people, all of that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, what is For me,
1: being a music publisher, I've always been a music publisher, but I've always approached music publishing as it's my job as a publisher to manage the career of a songwriter the same way a artist manager manages an artist career. And that is about... uh, encouraging them, motivating them, promoting them as songwriters. But lots of times it goes on to help and build a brand for them as a songwriter. It is helping create opportunities for them as a songwriter. It is opening doors for them as a songwriter. Uh, publishers do all of those type of things, but then there's also the backroom, um, administration side of things because the songs need to be licensed and all the royalties need to be collected. And it gets complicated now in that there are thousands of digital service providers Mm -hmm. and so for sony our worldwide admin and finance team is actually located in nashville so there's about 160 employees in downtown nashville that all of the money collected in the world flows through to our downtown location so in sony's uh ecosystem every penny that paul mccartney gets and every penny that eric church gets uh goes to downtown nashville and Mm -hmm. route it out through there and so there is a lot of behind the scenes business of that as a publisher but for this particular office being a creative hub something that is uniquely nashville is we work with the songwriters one-on-one every single day and it's it's really about service and it's about relationship it's about writing songs is hard it's Mm -hmm. really difficult and in my opinion, part of our role is helping that songwriter create at a hundred percent of their ability. And a lot of that is relational. It's understanding, Where the songwriter is in their life, mentally, what's going on? Do they have distractions? What can we do as a team member of their business to help eliminate distractions, to help motivate and encourage and promote them to do their very best work so that more days than not, they're capable of bringing 100% of themselves into the writing room? Because if they're not bringing 100% of themselves in— and they're only able to bring eighty percent in, man, just frankly, it's just not gonna happen that day, yeah, um at that point, we might as well kind of be buying lottery tickets. It's like, hey, we're not gonna win the lottery. we could win the lottery, but it's not our plan for the future, and if there's days where a songwriter can't bring a hundred percent of themselves in. Uh, it could still happen, but the chances of it happening are, are very, very slim. Yeah. And the, the goal is, you know, what I encourage people to do in Nashville is every day our goal is to write the best song created in Nashville. Artists need the greatest song written in Nashville. And many days, they can be a part of writing them. But there are other days that uh, they may not be a part of writing them, and some of the world's finest craftsmen songwriters are creating them, and those artists need those songs for their career. What they need to succeed is the, the greatest song written in Nashville. And when you look across the spectrum of country music, and you think of artists, and you think of the greatest singer-songwriter artist of whether it is toby keith or garth brooks uh you know people like that alan jackson even many times their biggest hit they're they're not the writer of yeah. even though they are widely respected as some of the greatest song one of the, you know greatest songwriters out there
0: yeah
1: and so it's our job as a publisher is to Work with those songwriters to help them create at the top of their ability, and then work with them strategically to help get their songs where they need to go, get their songs to the right artists. to make sure it's it's our job as publishers to bring songs to people they can't say no to. And if people can say no, well, we just didn't do our job. And even if that decision-making basis is, let's just say it's based in greed, meaning, hey, they... They intentionally want to record songs they're invested in, but we have to bring them songs that are even better than that, that make them say, Oh my gosh, I I can't say no to this. Yeah. The, our artist must record this song. This is our best chance of success. And for us as publishers, you know, we're taking songs to producers or to artists directly or to record labels or to managers. And we're trying to offer them songs that can help move forward the career of their artist. And it's having an understanding of that. And on a daily basis, motivating and encouraging our writers that they wake up and before 11 o'clock, they feel like they can do it that day. Because when you look across the songwriters, and I'm sure you've noticed this from ones you had on your your podcast, the thing that the songwriters have in common, guys who have written hits for multiple decades, the the Craig Wiseman's and Tim Nichols and Bob DiPiro's yep. and guys that are still having hits today, but they were having hits in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s and the 2010s and now in the 2020s. Every day they wake up and they think, man, this, this could be the day. This could be the day I write my greatest song yet. Uh, just, just yesterday, Tim Nichols and Craig Wiseman got together to write and they didn't even realize it, but their teams had put together. It was the 20th anniversary of the day they wrote, live like you were dying. Mm. And so they got together to write that day, but. The Did story, they wrote in person or on the they, phone? They, they wrote in person. <laughs> but, but they finished the song on the phone originally yeah, 20 years ago. Yeah. But what I love about that is that from the story of them writing Live Like You Were Dying, you would think, you know, it's arguably the biggest, one of the five biggest songs yeah. in the history of country music. Definitely. But you would think, oh man, if you've written a song that big, how are you motivated to write another one? Do you think, well, I'm never going to do that again? When it comes to Tim Nichols and Craig Wiseman, they never think, well, that's never going to happen again, because they knew that that day was just another Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And that's the secret sauce to writing songs is believing you can do it and just showing up uh, and bringing all of your ability and talent into the room, because you never know what day it's going to happen, because some days it's just another Tuesday. And the entire world or the entire genre can change from what happens on that Tuesday.
0: Mm. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Brit Skin Beauty. Located in the beautiful Indulgence Medi Spa in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, Brittany is the go-to esthetician for facials, dermaplaning, microdermabrasion, waxing, lashes, and any skincare products and consultations. So many people in the music industry use her frequently, and her work speaks for itself. To schedule your next consultation or make an appointment, visit BritSkinBeauty.com or send an email to BritSkinBeauty at gmail.com. What are, uh, what are some of the coolest stories that you can share of songs that you've watched go from a writer's room to something like that?
1: Man, that's a great question. Um. One that has the biggest impact that sticks out is a song called I Drive Your Truck that, uh, Connie Harrington and Jesse Alexander started. And they, they finished the song with Jimmy Urey and it became a, a big number one for Lee Bryce. But it came about from Connie Harrington driving down 65, listening to a NPR interview and mm-hmm. listening to a father talking about it was Memorial Day and he was out putting, uh, American flags on veterans graves. And they asked him, how do you remember your son who had died in the war? And he said, I drive his truck. And Connie jotted down that idea, but I wasn't aware of that at the time, but she and Jesse Alexander, a f- few days later, were writing and they started this idea and they started crying and knowing they had something really special. But as they were developing the idea, they knew that it was most likely going to be a male country artist that would record it. And so they came in and told me in my office that day about the song. And they said, man, we we really need to find the right male songwriter to write this with. So he's, he's using his melody influence. And immediately, you know, at the time and still today, I think one of the best male melody songwriters is named Jimmy Yeary. And I said, y'all got to get together with Jimmy Yeary on this. And so they brought Jimmy in. And throughout that day, I would see him kind of coming in and out of the room. I knew there were some tears going on. That usually means it was going to be special. But afterwards, they sat and played the song live. And you had these chills all over your body mm. of like, oh my gosh, this is really, this is really something special. And then uh it was okay, it was time for them to demo the song, go make a, a demo recording of it. And you're just holding your breath, hoping that, oh my gosh, is this going to be everything that it was the day you heard it? And I, I'll never forget, I actually sat on the side of a coffee table uh, in between two speakers in my office when they were playing me this demo, and listening to the demo, just holding my breath with every note that Oh, my gosh, is it paying off the way it's supposed to? And it did. And the hook came, and it paid off. And, and the next verse came, and it paid off. And there's just the demo delivered it perfectly. And then to find its way to pitching it to Lee Bryce. And then as it went on to find out that the actual uh, veteran the song was written about, he was killed in Afghanistan, uh, saving another soldier and you start learning about those facts of the story and then find out that the day the song was written was actually on an anniversary of this veteran's death and those are things that hey they didn't they didn't know any of this info this is how god weaves all this stuff yeah. together but to watch that song go on and win uh the CMA Song of the Year and ACM Song of the Year and uh, Music Row Magazine Song of the Year and watch it impact people's lives. And then CNN does stories about it and watch it impact not just veterans' lives, but country music listeners. And like, that's what the whole dream of this is. Mm-hmm. You know, as a publisher, I just, not even as a publisher, just the way I'm wired, I delusionally believe That songs have the power to change the world. I believe that in, in today's world where we are, you'll oftentimes hear somebody say, you know, they'll complain about their situation or they may not have an opportunity to do what they want in life, or they may not uh know somebody that can help them do what they want to do in life. And I'm a big believer when it comes to songs, there is no one anywhere in the world sitting on the next Amazing Grace. And just because they're not in a music mecca or just because they don't know somebody or just because they didn't go to to a music university, that it's never going to have a chance. Because I believe with all I am today that if you write a truly amazing song anywhere you are, it has the opportunity to get out there. Obviously, from social media being the easiest thing now. Mm-hmm. But from where we are in the world now, if someone writes a song truly that impactful and they play it for their friend that knows the mailman, that's friends with the baseball coach at the school next door, who knows the person at the mall down the road, who knows this person, and it will make its way. It will find its way. Um you know, I think about a song like Amazing Grace and you've listened to Amazing Grace and it has comforted you through times of, of loss. Uh, it's helped you through times of struggle, but you've also listened to Amazing Grace and it fills you with power and strength. But there's countless examples of that. It doesn't have to be just a, uh, uh, you know, a faith based song, but you listen to Live Like You Are Dying and it does that. But you know what? You can also listen to a song like It's Five O'Clock Somewhere and it takes you out of your reality. And songs, I just believe I go back to songs have the power to change the world. And these songs that we grew up with that seem like evergreens, like they've always been here. Well, when you really start researching them, They haven't been. It hasn't been that long. Mm -hmm. You know, they might be a hundred years old. Like, that's not that long ago. And you think about that and to think about, oh my gosh, hold on. That song is only a hundred years old or 200 years old. Someone could write a song today that someone's talking about a hundred years from now. And it is the song that changes the way Everybody in the world feels about something or it makes them feel every something uh and brings them together and feel some kind of unity. Um, and I want to be a part of encouraging songwriters to do their best work that it can influence people all over the world. And we can do that in Nashville, Tennessee, because this is where the world's greatest songwriters are. And Sony Music Publishing is the home of the world's greatest songwriters as well. Amen. (laughs) Um, But I just, I believe that with all my heart is that uh, to touch humans and to relate to each other from a human condition experience, the best way to do that
0: is through music. And there's no music without songs. Yeah. Yeah. uh, I've got a quote. I was being interviewed. long time ago, several years ago. And I said this in an interview. And then afterwards, I didn't even remember exactly how it came out. And I might screw it up now, but I said it and uh, we ended up, it's painted on the side of our building. Now it became a quote that's a mural on the side of our building. Um, But it's music is the universal language of the world. Um, Music comes to us through song. Every song has a songwriter. Yeah. I um, love that. So, but anyway, yeah, it's true. it's, uh, you know, the, the, all of these things that take place and you're right, it just could be a random Tuesday and, um, you know, I mean, we hear stories every day about that. So yeah. it's, um uh, it's very cool. Um, okay. So let's talk about, um, you know, I'm sure you've got many more great stories and sp- And by the way, didn't, didn't Connie on, that song didn't she go to that guy's hometown and share it with uh yes. with his dad and yeah when the song went number 1 uh
1: we all had kind of a group phone call and it was really about okay we knew there was going to be a number 1 party which is something uniquely Nashville yeah. where songwriters and artists get together and celebrate that number 1 achievement on radio uh but Connie and and Jimmy and Jesse wanted to find the the father who inspired the song. And she did all kinds of research online, wasn't finding it, actually called NPR to get information, wasn't finding it, and just finally gave it one last Google search and stumbled upon what who she thought was the person on the interview. His name was Paul Monty. And then just started tracking down, could they get paul Monty's phone number and found a phone number of his relative that lived next door called that number and he happened to be there and then led into the conversation of introducing them to this song mm-hmm. come to find out he was aware of the song he had no idea it was about his situation um since then he's turned the songwriters on to other parents who drive their children's trucks who had passed away or you know were killed in the war mm. uh but yeah, found him uh Paul Monty was brought to uh Nashville, and his son was actually given the Congressional Medal of honor I believe that's what it's called I could be wrong uh but the president. Uh, gave this award to Paul Monty, to his son, mm. posthumously. And he brought that award to Nashville and displayed it when we had the number one party over at the uh, CMA office. Yeah. It's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. We've heard that story through leadership music, and it yeah. still just gives me chills. Just mm-hmm. so, such a cool thing. Um, well, if if you've got uh, any other uh, success stories like that, I mean, I know you've got tons of them. Yeah. So. We can talk about more. I'll tell that, you a, a, a real recent one. Yeah. That's something really cool. Um, coming
1: here to Sony, because like I said, I've always, I grew up an entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for years. and It was never part of my plan to work for a corporation, but this is an example of God's plan is bigger than my plan. Uh, but when I came to Nashville, Sony Tree at the time was just the absolute crown jewel, pinnacle of music publishing in Nashville. And still is today, but all of the legacy of country music is here in this catalog, all the way from Hank Williams and Willie Nelson, Roger Miller and Chris Christopherson, to the artists and songwriters of today, to the number one song today with Lainey Wilson, written by Lainey and and uh, Josh Keir and Jordan Schmidt um all the way back from the first songs of country to, to the number one today. And the idea of walking into being someone who gets the chance to champion that legacy was something really exciting, but also something kind of a, a little bit daunting of makes you feel like, Oh wow, I'm so not worthy to be in this. Um. But I have, I, I grew up on country music. I love the history of country music and just songs in general. But one day sitting in a, a corporate meeting, um, and they were talking about something was happening to where they were playing a brand new hip hop song that was coming out that ended up being really successful. And it had sampled some other older songs. And, Generally speaking, like what happens in popular music, we oftentimes see it in country music maybe a decade later, uh, and you can really hear it in music of, you know, you listen to people like Sam Hunt that grew up listening to Hank Jr., but he grew up listening to, to Snoop Dogg, and you can hear both those influences in his music, mm-hmm. but... The idea of interpolations, which is not sampling a song, but it's using elements from a song and rewriting it into a new creation, that is something that is very commonplace in the world of hip-hop, but not something that had been common in country. We had seen it maybe once or twice, but I just was basically zoning out in this corporate meeting as they were playing you know a new hip hop song. It was great, but it just got me thinking about the legacy of our catalog, and and I got to thinking about uh, I mentioned Tim Nichols earlier, who wrote "Live Like You Were Dying." Well, he wrote what I believe is the number one female country karaoke song, which is called "Heads Carolina tells California." And if you've ever been to anywhere that sings karaoke, if somebody's singing. A country song and it's a female. There's, you know, a really mm-hmm. good chance one of the first three songs is going to be Heads Carolina, Tails California. And so I just got to thinking about that song. And in the moment I was really in a groove. I'm a huge fan of Cole Swindell that writes here at Sony and he has a great legacy of being here. But we were um, having lots of song meetings, talking about songs for his records, uh, helping curate co-writes for him. But through that, we started talking about the idea of an interpolation and the idea of introducing that song to Cole from a perspective of, hey, what if you use this as an interpolation? What if you were out and you, you know, were with your friends and you walk into the bar and there's that mythical girl and she was singing Heads Carolina and Cole Completely ran with it and turned it into his own version called She Had Me at Heads Carolina that went on to win the ACM Song mm-hmm. of the Year, but be one of the most performed songs of the year. And it was a, I think, six week number one. I could be, I could be robbing it. It's either six or seven week number one. But what's awesome about it is that. Part of the song interpolates Tim Nichols and, and Mark D. Sanders' original Heads Carolina, Tells California. So they're writers on this brand new song. And so what's amazing is that we have brand new writers involved in the song that are current and active songwriters for Sony. But it also uh incorporates elements of the legacy catalog of this company, of, of Heads Carolina. Tim Nichols wrote it. 26 years ago when he wrote an EMI, and and the EMI catalog is part of the Sony catalog. So I love that story so much because it was really a collaborative process of figuring out mm. a way to utilize some of the great legacy catalog that exists, but also put that together with one of the absolute greatest active artist songwriters out there cole swindell but him having the vision and the belief and the dream to bring this thing to life as of a brand new way and now he's turned on a whole new generation of fans who've never even heard jody messina's version of the song and it's awesome to see that happen and it's a win-win-win for everybody involved
0: yeah dude i love that story um you know, uh, you know, my kids. So, uh, I think the cool thing about that too, from a, from a, a music lover, but also a dad point of view yeah. is like, um, my kids, four and five years old were standing on the coffee table, jamming to Cole's version of it. Yeah. And then through that, like, you know, they, they're to the point where they're like, Alexa, play that, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then Jody's version comes on and they're like, this isn't it. But then they're a fan. <laughs> now it's like, Okay, we want the old version or we want the new version. And now, you know, like you got a 4 and a 5-year-old yeah. that are fans of Jody Messina. Yeah. You know, and a song that was written almost 30 years ago. Yeah. You know, it's like and uh and you and, know
1: for Cole, he's such a 90s country music fan cuz that's what he was yeah, raised on. Yeah. You know, he's so proud of that. And he's so happy about that and happy for the awareness it's bringing to Jody Messina. And like, what an opportunity to use his platform to be able to do that yep. and uh, turn all those new fans onto that song. I love it. And that's something that's, you know, a really recent of the moment example, but it's cool to, I mean, I just can't even believe we get to be a part of things like that, that really, you know, it's the soundtrack of of people's lives like right now that song let's say over the past 12 months has been played you know it's one of the top five most played country songs of the whole year i think it's like number two or three but you think about for those kids in middle school or the kids in high school like that is the soundtrack of their life they're growing up yeah. with right now and that song was played at people's proms or in their cars on friday (laughs) nights or at parties while they were at swimming pools uh that's that's just incredible and i can't believe we get to play a part in that somehow
0: yeah just people's lives like that yeah i love it um what about um you know we we both have the opportunity to you know we hear you know you you before me even you know you hear these songs like you said earlier you come into this room every morning and you hear about 25 songs that were written the day before. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we get to see a lot of that at the listening room too, where, you know, I'll be just zoning out, listening to the radio. And then all of a sudden I hear a song for the first time and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I know this, Like (laughs) this this is so-and-so, you know, like, um, but, you know, through that process, we also hear so many songs that, Uh, you start to figure out what in your head is a hit and what is not a hit. Right. Um, And there's a lot of, there's a lot of great songs that are written in this building and in this town Mm -hmm. that nobody ever gets to hear. Yeah. Um, What, like, what is that like for you with especially hearing the amount of songs that you hear? Like what's, what's some stories of, um, you know, a song that, um maybe took forever to get there that -hmm. you knew from the beginning was a hit or a song that maybe has never even been released yet that you're just like you know like any frustrations of like man i gotta get this song out but that kind of thing
1: uh yeah there's um quite a few of them sorry i need one second to think about that (laughs) but um yeah there's 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 so many and it's such a joy to get to hear those songs daily that you you just know they're going to be something it's like i remember the the very first time that um i believe hardy had sent over wait in the truck and you know the song came via text with the idea of hey would you mind sending this to so and so um but just hearing a song that impactful—that's like, oh my gosh, like—and and it's it's so impactful about the storyline of what it is. I mean, there's a, there's a murder involved, mm-hmm. and you don't normally hear those at the top of the radio charts. Um, but to watch it uh, come together, and then Laney Wilson be a part of it, and to watch it climb the chart and get to where it's going—like that—is so fulfilling. Uh, There's other songs that, you know, to me, it's just they haven't found their place yet. Again, it kind of goes back to that story I was telling you earlier where I don't believe someone has written like a song at the caliber of Amazing Grace. And just because they don't know somebody, it doesn't find its way. It finds its way. It just takes time. Um, One of the greatest songwriters in any genre ever named tom douglas is a songwriter here Mm -hmm. but one of his biggest songs was called the house that built me Mm -hmm. i think and he wrote that song at sony well before i was here so i'm talking a bit just from hearing folklore and stories but i think there was something like a dozen different demos of that song and the song was nine years old before it was recorded um and those are the stories where sometimes it, it just takes time for them to ripen and, and find their way. Mm-hmm. Something that is a little inside baseball of of country music and radio, as we look at the chart or we talk about songs going number one on the on the airplay chart, I believe 75% of the songs on that chart, they're, those songs are four years old. Uh, it those songs aren't old that's just the time it takes for the song to ripen Mm -hmm. and so for us for the process for the majority of hits by the time we get it it gets recorded we it gets turned into us the song gets pitched it finds a home it makes its way out to radio it makes its way up the chart the majority of the songs on that chart are four years old yeah and to some people, they're like, oh, my gosh, that seems so old. But but it's not. That's just part of – that's just this is the timing of the process. The music
0: industry is definitely not fast. Yeah, it's definitely yeah, not fast. Yeah.
1: And I would say of the other 25% of the songs on the chart, half of those are older than four years and half of those are, are newer than four years. Mm. Um, so you're really talking about 12 and a half, 15% of the chart or the songs are – younger than four years old yeah it's just kind of the time it takes you know um speaking of tom douglas he's got a song i just think is phenomenal phenomenal called perfect people and you know right now i pitch it everywhere our whole team pitches it everywhere like it's not recorded yet but it's going to get recorded and it's gonna find its way i know um there's some guys that play the listening room a lot Um uh, Jordan Walker and Tranny Anderson and and uh Trey Lewis they wrote an a, just a mind-boggling song called 3 foot tall that Wendell has recorded and I know I've seen some videos of them performing it at the listening room and the reaction that it's already mm-hmm. getting and uh, I'm I'm hopeful that will be coming out soon uh just just these songs that are amazing that touch you from the moment you know it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. and some. But we go back to, like, I Drive Your Truck. Uh, from pitching that song, Lee Bryce, the day I pitched it to him, he literally cried, had tears in his eyes, but it wasn't his first single. And then, you know, and country music singles can last 40 or 50 weeks. Well, then it turned around, and guess what? It wasn't the second single either. So now you're talking – two years worth of singles have gone by on Lee Bryce and I drive your truck was recorded the whole time. And then finally it was the third single, but the timing was perfect for it. Mm. Um, So there are stories of those all the time.
0: Yeah. Well, man, you know, you've, you've created uh, a very cool atmosphere here. Um, You know, it's, it's awesome to just be able to sit back and, and watch everything that you do and all the writers that come play and just you know that um this is their this is their family, you know, like it's that's the way you've built it. And um, you know, uh Sony's been around for a long time, long before you, uh and and will be here probably for a long time after both of us are gone. gone. Um but uh you know I just want to applaud you for for what you do because these songs that everybody Hears and what becomes their soundtrack of their life is because of guys like you at the helm steering the ship that knows how to pour into the writers and pick out those songs that that will bring tears to everybody's eyes listening. Yeah, so thank you. Just I just I love songwriters. I believe
1: songwriters can change the world, and it's my role and everybody else's role here is for us to just shower on encouragement to them and my business title here is ceo but every time i see that i look at it as chief encouragement officer Mm -hmm. that's the way i look at it is my job is just to never stop encouraging these songwriters that they can do it and then all of a sudden they show up and they are doing it and they deliver and on days that they think they can't if they just show up there's a chance it can happen
0: and they can change the world with a song Yep. Yep. Amen. Well, uh, before we wrap up, I always like to end with the same question. Okay. So let's go back to eight year old Rusty back in Texas. uh, You know, looking over those kids sitting on the bench going, Hey, why are you finally listening to this song a year later? Everything that you've done, um, you know, from starting your own indie pub company, running that, very successfully over 20 years coming uh to be the uh chief encouragement officer yeah. at at Sony um everything that you've you've done throughout this if you were able to go back to eight-year-old self right now what advice would you give yourself
1: oh i would encourage myself to dream even bigger in that i'm a big dreamer um but if i would have told even the 20 year old that moved to nashville and drove by sony tree at the time and thought man that is like that's the crown jewel biggest publishing company in town one day i could run that company that it that seems too unrealistic to dream but it's not unrealistic mm-hmm. because it is my current modern day reality. And now I'm faced with what is the next dream? What is the bigger dream? What is the dream of how I influence even more songwriters beyond just these walls? And what I would tell that eight-year-old is to, no dream is too big and no dream is too crazy as long as you are willing to put forth the effort to do everything possible to make it become reality. Yeah, and that it can happen because it's gonna happen for somebody. So it might as well be you.
0: Yeah, so good, man.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, this thank is great. you. I'll see you at the listening room soon.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we'll just keep uh, we'll we'll keep listening to all the number one hits yeah. coming out of this uh, this building. So. I'll tell you,
1: some songwriters to book there.
0: Okay, yeah. <laughs> sounds good, dude. I appreciate it. It's thank been a blast. You. you got it everybody out there listening or watching thank you so much be sure to follow like share all of this check out the notes uh for uh links to connect with uh sony and figure out more about uh, what happens behind the scenes uh in a publishing company and uh you've been listening to rusty gaston we'll see you next time this has been an episode of stories behind the songs with chris Blair. For more information after the show, head over to ChrisBlair.com. That's where you can find information on these episodes, trailer notes, video links, all kinds of great stuff. Also, make sure to leave us a great rating on iTunes, like and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a comment, let us know what you think. I really hope that you think this show is awesome and we really appreciate the love and support. I promise to keep gathering great content and continuing to sit down with more amazing songwriters and artists as we grow. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for the support. We'll see you next time.